You're listening to the Sports Blog New York podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the SBNY podcast on Apple Podcasts app, iTunes, Google Play, and now on Spotify. Yes, the Sports Blog New York podcast is on Spotify, so check us out. Give us a follow on there as well. And also, our friends at Team Left Jab Radio on Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts, our friends at Team Left Jab Love having our content, whether it be New York sports, whether it be worldwide sports, and we love giving it to them. So shout out to Team Left Jab as well. Uh, and if you're hearing me speak one way or another, you found us. So if you like what you've been hearing, don't be bashful. Leave a little rating and review on that iTunes Apple Podcast app or or why not Google Play or Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to what we have to say. But without further ado, two great segments on today's episode First off, I was with my man, John Lucas Duffy. We're talking NBA playoffs. Duff, what is up, dog? How we living, Petey? Doing great. I mean, these playoffs have been fantastic. Uh, game winners, buzzer beaters, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, Rockets gone. There's so much to talk about, so much to break down, and we did just that. And then after all the great NBA playoffs talk, joined by my guy. He hasn't been here in a minute. Alec Argento, what's good, dog? What's up, dude? Oh, just enjoying some Yankees winning. Enjoying some Yankees injured list uh, newcomers and looking forward to the draft lottery tomorrow. Absolutely. So Alec joined uh, me after Duff and I talked NBA to talk full New York baseball update, ton of Yankees talk, ton of Mets talk, some overall MLB talk as well sprinkled in there. So stay tuned for that. If you're more interested in baseball, skip forward, but I I would recommend not doing that because the basketball talk with Duff was so good, and especially the NBA draft lottery is here. It's Tuesday night. The Knicks hopefuls are praying. We're we're so excited, but we're so nervous. Alec, walk us through the mind of a Knicks fan before this draft lottery. Well, this, uh, are we? Would you officially say that we're in the convincing ourselves that we're going to win a championship already? Mm, nope, I I, I'm expecting yeah. number five. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. My brain, my brain is torn. I, I I'm hoping uh, obviously we get number one. I'm hoping we get number two. Hoping we get three. Some of them. Uh, if we get four or five, I think we're pretty much screwed. Um, but we'll make a package to get Anthony Davis with that fourth or fifth pick. So it's okay. Wow. Joining Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I love it. I'm feeling some confidence from Alec, and I needed that. I really did need that. And we also got some great confidence with baseball content later from Alec. Duffy, what is your one wish for the draft lottery? Uh, I have uh, an A wish and a B wish. Okay. My A wish is that the Knicks get the number one pick, much to your surprise, I'm sure. Wow, thank you. I would love to see Zion Williamson in my backyard. I would love to be able to take the train or the bus to go see a generational talent. If that doesn't work out, I hope the Mavs get the number one pick and that he goes to play with Luka. I think that would be just absolutely insane. That would be great. I don't know how else to put it. It would just be insane. That would be great hardcore fun. I don't even know what that would look like. Luka, Zion, Porzingis. Oh, my. That would would be be crazy. The odds are— That's easily my, my, my favorite team in the NBA. The odds are slightly against that, obviously, as we know. Uh, It would be a little bit of a long shot, but with these new odds, anything is possible. And my one wish for the NBA draft lottery is that the number one pick goes to anybody but the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cleveland Cavaliers, (laughs) Cleveland Cavaliers, get out of my face. John Beeline, I don't care. You don't deserve Zion. You already had one. We need one, or Phoenix needs one, or Atlanta needs one. Give me Trey Young and Zion. Don't send them to friggin' Cleveland, and that's all. That's all I'm saying. Couldn't agree more. I did just beeline. Just I 
That's it. I hate it. I hate the idea of him going to Kev so much. <laughs> I needed some reinforcements there, Duff. Thank you for giving me that. But anyways, Sports Blog New York Podcast. Stay tuned for a jam-packed episode. NBA playoffs talk. MLB baseball talk. A New York baseball update was much needed with John Lucas Duffy and Alec Argento. I'm Pete Kennedy, and this is a Sports Blog New York Podcast. What's up? We're back here on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Pete Kennedy is here. That's me. And I'm also joined with my man, John Lucas Duffy, to talk NBA playoffs as we do. Duff, my guy, what is up? How we doing, Petey? I'm a little sad because I didn't get to get the raw emotion, the raw sadness out of you with the Sixers' outcome yesterday. I'm a little sad that we didn't get the raw emotion from you. But I'm happy to have you a day later. This is, We're recording Monday night for a Tuesday release, so by the time people are hearing this, it's two days removed from the Sixers' uh, Game 7 loss and the immaculate Kawhi Leonard game winner. Another great game with the Blazers and the Nuggets. Um, but first off, just give me, give me a glimpse of the emotions that you experienced yesterday, Duff, with that Sixers-Raptors game. I, mo- I mostly felt numb. Like, I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. Like, I did it's game seven. You're just praying they keep it close. And then, you know, the Sixers get down early. This team is terrible playing from behind. They play their way back from, I think they were down like 23-15. And I'm just, it felt like they were down by 15 points instead of eight. And then they rush back to 34-33. They take the lead. They fall back again, like 50-41. Then they go back up 51-50. And it was just back and forth. And then the Raptors had like 85-80. to and you felt like it was over until they tied it back up at 85 to 85. It was just a, a roller coaster of emotion. Like I, I honestly didn't know what to do with myself. My dog could feel the tension in the room <laughs> it was palpable and she was like shaking with fear and I was not even looking at her. So that, that just lets you know where I was at. And I, I can imagine that as much as you were pulling for the Sixers, as you watched Kawhi Leonard, just be willing to take every shot as his teammates are willing to do the opposite um, that though you were upset, you were also thoroughly impressed and kind of excited by that performance as well. Is that fair to say? I don't know about excited, but I was impressed. It was, I, I he, he is, he is the Terminator. Like he is just uh, like, like in those movies, the Terminator just like, they, they keep, they get knocked down, they get shot, they get stabbed, they get you know, blown up and then just, you just, the next scene, they're just walking through a cloud of dust. They just keep coming at you and you're just running and running and running and just trying to put any sort of distance between you and them. And there they are around every corner. And that's how it felt playing, playing against Kawhi Leonard. Like it, it, there was just no escape. You knew he was going to come, come up big every time. And it came down to one possession, one shot, the Sixers made a great play to get Jimmy Butler that transition layup in which that was a tougher finish than it looked. Certainly was like, mm-hmm. don't lose sight of that. And then just those miracle bounces, several bounces. Like I thought your, your tweet was perfect. Like that was the real life version of the Holy shot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was a little upset. I thought that tweet was gonna get more love. Not going to lie. Uh, I said when, when, I it was perfect. when your phone auto corrects to Holy shot, like that just happened in real life with Kawhi Leonard <laughs> And I, I, 
I'm a little upset the tweet didn't get more love, but nonetheless, I'm glad you gave me the shout out. Thank you. Um, Everyone, go back and retweet it. Thank you. I I was watching that game. I was actually at the fan. I'm sitting with Lori Rubinson. Shout out to the program, Lori Rubinson. Um, she's getting ready to go on the show in like 15 minutes, and we're sitting there watching the game. And when the shot dropped. She pushed back in her chair, hands up in the air. I literally got out of my chair and then, like, paced across the room, like, "Oh my god, I can't believe that went in!" It was absolutely insane, and and it was the perfect ending to a semi ugly series for both teams. And I say that because there were moments of greatness for both, and then there were moments of helplessness for both teams as well. There were moments in that series where you're like, "Oh, the Sixers are back. They're going to take control of this and they're going to run away with it." But then there were moments where like. The Sixers can't get out of their own way. They don't know how to, they don't know how to play offense. Ben Simmons doesn't know what to do when he um, isn't in transition. And there were all these different ebbs and flows. And the one consistency uh, in the series turned out to be the winning reason, and that's Kawhi Leonard. Simply Kawhi Leonard, right? There was all this up and down for the series for both teams. But the one thing that was relentless and that was consistent was Kawhi Leonard's scoring prowess and absolute tenacity on both ends of the floor. And and it's almost a, a rightful ending to a really great up-and-down gritty series between the Sixers and the Raptors that the one guy who brought it night in, night out was the guy who prevailed. And it was Kawhi Leonard, and I think that's the moral of the story here. You had two teams who couldn't get out of their own way at times, who had um, depth issues and secondary player issues, and even star issues when it comes to the Sixers with Joel Embiid, the one guy, though, the one person who's getting all the praise is deserved, and that's Kawhi's absolute brilliance. Yeah, Kawhi, Kawhi was insane. That This is exactly why Masai Ujiri traded for him. This was what they wanted. If DeMar DeRozan is on this team instead, there's no doubt in my mind that the Sixers win this game, probably the series, maybe even in fewer games. That's the impact he has. He just... What do you average like thirty five plus in this series alone? Yeah. So what what do you do with someone like that who's just so outstanding, but in such a consistent manner? Like this wasn't a case where he scored like seventeen points in one game and then fifty in another. It was like he was good for eight points or more every single quarter. Like it seemed like there wasn't a single quarter where he was was down and not playing at an elite level. So. How do you defend that? How do you stop it? How do you keep pace with that? It's so difficult. And even with the rest of the Raptors just kind of being the Raptors in the sense that they want to kind of cave and not make shots or take shots and everyone else on his team, you know, only one player in the starting lineup was a plus. And I think that was Kyle Lowry, a plus two. Serge Serge Ibaka was like a plus 20. Did he start? Oh, starting lineup. No, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So of the start, yeah, Abaka was tremendous in this game. Like he had four offensive rebounds. The the difference in the game was the offensive rebound, in my mind. Like it, it wasn't even close. I think it was sixteen offensive rebounds for the Raptors and five for the Sixers. There was just like a ninety second stretch where Kyle Lowry had three offensive rebounds, and he was the shortest person in the game by like three or four inches. So h- how do you let that happen so frequently? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. Like. Really, people want to dog and beat about stuff and whatever. I get it. You know, the knee injury, he's sick. It's this, it's fatigue. You know, there's all these excuses, but everyone kind of just said, okay, you know, this is game seven. You got to put that aside. And he did that. He had played 45 minutes. He was plus 10. And in the three minutes he was off the court, the Sixers were 
minus 12. Yeah. So what do you do with that? Like you, you, you can't expect more from him. And, and really just my closing notes on the Sixers are, you know, is Embiid going to really be this guy where we never know if he's healthy or not all the time? You know, if he ever gets consistent, he's going to be a transcendent talent. Can we get Brett Brown, like a backup center who can not go minus 12 in the span of three minutes? Like, is, is that a thing that we can get him? And also Ben Simmons just needs to be able to shoot from farther than 10 feet out. 10, 10 feet, 15 feet and I'm like stoked. You only took five shots in this entire game. Yeah, it, it, it was rough. And uh, you know, and people listening to this podcast know, I'm a Ben Simmons guy. I'm a Ben Simmons backer. I have proclaimed on this podcast that the Sixers should be Ben Simmons' team. And that looks silly right now. And I'm not selling my Ben Simmons stock, but I may sell the fact that the Sixers should be his team stock, if that makes sense. Because I do still think he's a transcendent talent. And with that all said, I was so disappointed in his performance in that fourth quarter. He picked up his fifth foul and became irrelevant. I was watching that game, and I actually had some rooting interest in his specific stat line because I needed him to get one more bucket or one rebound and a free throw to get the over for his points, rebound, assist. So I was watching him very closely, (laughs) right? And he picks up his fifth foul, and now he's completely irrelevant. He's inactive. He's afraid to touch the ball because he doesn't want to go to the free throw line, despite being 5 of 6 for the game. He doesn't box out for rebounds. He wasn't attacking the the, the glass. And he would have been better off fouling out. And to say that is a pretty aggressive statement, but I swear I really believe that TJ McConnell would have had a bigger impact on that game in the final six minutes of, of, of the of the game. Like there was one play specifically where Embiid was boxing somebody out or he was engaged with somebody on a box out on one side of the hoop. And then Ben Simmons was on the other block untouched and he didn't even make a play on the on the rebound. He didn't even go for the ball and Serge Ibaka comes in for an easy putback layup. And it was plays I know like the that. exact play you're talking about. It, it, Embiid was trying to box out two guys right. at the same time and after like 42 minutes. Dude, it, and it, you know what? With the, all the things said about Ben Simmons' lack of shooting or non-existent jumper, whatever you want to say, there's other ways to impact the game, and he can do them all. He can be the defender. He can be the facilitator. He can be the slasher transition guy. But more importantly, this dude can rebound. He had eight rebounds by accident without even trying to rebound in the fourth quarter. And I, I was watching the game praying he didn't foul out because I needed those three extra stats from him. But then I'm watching the game thinking to myself, the Sixers need him to foul out. So Brett Brown has the 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 right or uh, the need to put somebody else in to do something. He wasn't doing anything. And you look at a guy like Draymond Green. He doesn't score all the time. We know this. But he does all those other things. And does Ben Simmons look at Draymond Green and say, I'm not him. I'm a bigger superstar than him. I'm more talented than him. I believe that's what Ben Simmons thinks. And is he wrong? No, but right now as a 22-year-old, you are not the superstar you think you are. You are a young superstar who has much to prove and much to do for your team without scoring, and he did none of it, and it was very, very disappointing, and that might be coming from the biggest Ben Simmons guy around town. Just the main thing I need from him is to not have his brother as his shooting coach anymore. (laughs) Like, that's not working. It's not working. Like I don't, it's not, hasn't gotten better. It's been like three years and then you're nowhere near better at any point of that game. 
It's tough. At all. It's tough. Um, but w- let's move on from this for a second because we got to talk about other teams. I don't want to go too, too long on any specific topic here. So also what happened over the weekend was the Rockets got beat by the Golden State Warriors in Game 6 on Friday night. Also, the Nuggets uh, lost a tough one, and they were beat by the Portland Trailblazers, which leads us to a Raptors-Bucks, uh, Warriors-Blazers um, Final Four for the NBA playoffs, which should be exciting, especially in the Eastern Conference. See, to see Kawhi Leonard and Giannis go head-to-head is going to be fantastic. The Warriors, I think we all expect to win this one in five or six, but who knows? You know, the Portland could be sneaky if, if Dame and CJ are hot. Um, all bets are off with Boogie and Kevin Durant out. Who knows what's going to happen uh, in a whole series, right? So we'll talk about that. But first, before we before we get to the, the preview of the upcoming series, I want to talk about the Houston Rockets. So they've had this obsession according to them, right? Their words, not ours. Obsession with beating the Warriors. And they have this formula, and they have this strategy, and they do all these things that, according to them, is going to help them accomplish the goal of beating the Warriors. But when you watch these playoffs, and these playoffs specifically, more than years past, in my opinion, there has been adjustments. There has been pushback on the analytics. When you watched the Trailblazers the other day, Dame was not hot. He was the opposite of hot. He was not hitting shots. And what was C.J. McCollum doing to keep Portland in the game, to keep them afloat? He was taking the best shot available, which very often happened to be mid-range jumpers, and he's good enough to make them. And you watch the Rockets, and you watch D'Antoni coach, and you see no adjustment. You see no back-to-the-wall urgency. No, I have to do whatever it takes to win vibe from the Houston Rockets. You see the same exact style in Game 62 as you did in Game 100 in the playoffs. And I believe... That is their downfall. And you know I'm the biggest Rockets guy around. I'm a big James Harden backer. And I, do, I will not be here saying that James Harden choked. But I will say that he and his teammates, and especially his coach, left a lot of adjustments on the table and a lot of last-minute, urgent plays to be made. They just kept trying to like math their way out of things. Like There's, there's one thing to be pro-analytics, and there's another thing to be sort of just blinded by your beliefs to the point where Daryl Morey and, and D'Antoni kind of just feel like religious zealots at like at times, like they really just never deviate from their system. And you can't really point the finger at James Harden and be like, well, what the fuck dude? you like, you play like shit. No, he didn't. He had 35 points on 25 shots, seven for 14 or from seven for 12 from the foul line. Eight points, five assists in the closeout with four steals. So, what like what more do you want from the guy? Like him being a choker is just like a lazy narrative. Then if you say that, you I really just feel like you don't watch basketball at this point. I'm not saying it wasn't true at a certain point, like 2015. I he's think had, it was he's when, had some choke games. This was not one of them. This was not one of them. It, it really wasn't, and I don't think it was a choke series. It if Andre Iguodala is going to make five of eight threes, like what are you supposed to do? Like this is still the Warriors. I get they don't have Kevin Durant, but this is the same. This is the same nucleus of players that won seventy three games in the regular season and won a championship in two thousand seventeen. So th- let's not let's not act like they're three sisters of a blind over here just because they don't have Kevin Durant. They still have like two of the top 100, 150 players. Steph Curry, top twenty, top twenty five at least. Right. So right. what? What do you really say to to the Rockets other than just sort of make an adjustment at some point? Like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you what it is or supposed to be. Like, give me something, though. 
Right. You got to give me something. It also feels lazy to say, oh, just stay, take mid-range jump shots. Like it's it's also lazy just to be like, oh, it's super simple. You just got to take mid-rangers. But is it is it Harden unwilling to to make a change, or is it D'Antoni not? empowering him in the right direction they they empower them to do what they did all season which was to make plays to iso to take people off the dribble to get to the rim and to shoot as many threes as you want but it is it up to d'antoni to look at harden to look at chris paul to look at eric gordon and say guys we i know we do the three-point thing i know that's our thing i know we don't shoot mid-rangers but if you have the shot you need to take it because you guys can all make it like that's the, that's what it comes down to. I, I say this a lot, and, and it's not specifically analytic. It, it's just obvious. What is the best shot you can take? It's the one that goes in. The best shot mm-hmm. you can take is the one that goes in. And I think um, CJ McCollum proved that in his Game 7 performance. I think throughout the series, Jamal uh, Jamal Murray even proved that. He was taking some long twos that he was able to put in, put in the basket. And it comes down to a playoff game where the defense is tighter, and those threes, the percent just drops a little bit. And, and, and even despite the Rockets' you know, somewhat struggles or just getting beat by the Warriors, they actually are, are still one of the better three-point shooting teams in the playoffs. So they did what they do and still got beat because they didn't add from any other portion of their game. They didn't get the shots inside they usually do. Capella doesn't get the easy baskets he usually does. And some of the opportunities where they maybe they force some threes, they could have had some easier shots inside. And it comes down to Dan Tony, who I would not be surprised if he's not back as the coach because you know they're not they're not going to bail on Harden. Eric Gordon didn't have a good game, but. He still may be their best option as a second or third playmaker and scorer. So, is D'Antoni the next guy out of Houston? Where where does Houston go from here, Duff? I don't know if they go anywhere, and I don't think they'll fire D'Antoni. Um, I think they honestly kind of just run it back and try to fill the gaps again around uh, Harden, Paul, and Capella. Just because, what if Kevin Durant leaves? What if Steph Curry's ankles start to break down for real? Like, what if they're so like let's not lose sight of how close they are in these series. Like I know this only went six and I know we expected it to go seven. If not, you know, Houston's supposed to win. If anything, they just need to tighten up defense. I think it's honestly less about their, their offense and the lack of adjustment on that end in the regular season, the Warriors, I I heard this on Zach Lowe's podcast in the regular season, the Warriors were scoring 115 points or 113 points per 100 possessions. Or maybe it was Russillo on the Simmons podcast. And then in the playoffs, they were scoring 115 points per 100 possessions, specifically in this series. Right. So, like, if you're going to – you're facing off against historic, historically efficient offenses no matter what. Like, even if they stayed at the regular season level, but guess what? They jumped up. So, it's really about the defense. Like, you kind of have to just sell out on stopping Curry and Thompson because – those guys are human in the sense that they're not seven foot tall with a freakish handle, freakish range and unbelievable shot making ability and willingness to attack the rim and finish. So like you can't take Kevin Durant away the same way you can't take LeBron James away. So you really have to point out, identify what you can take away and execute on it. And they didn't do that. They didn't kind of bully Curry and Thompson around. Like they needed to knock them down. Like the way the the Cavaliers did in 2016 and really just kind of, kind of just bully them and and make them uncomfortable and they didn't do that 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 seems to be the only way to to really take them off their game and i did i didn't see it from them and you do have to tip your cap 
Steph Curry in that second half, and specifically only in that second half, was incredible. And the shots that he were he was hitting were not easy, a, a lot of them. So you do tip your hat to Steph, to Clay, and like you said, to Andre Iguodala, who hit the shots when they mattered most. Uh, they they played well, and that's why I specifically said when I introduced this series that the Warriors beat the Rockets. I, I don't think it was some legendary choke job out of the Rockets. I think they got beat, but they left something on the table. So that's why I, yeah. I, there, there's a distinction there between choking and just le- leaving something to be desired for. Like They didn't just lay out a dud. They didn't roll over and die maybe until the last minute of the game, right? But they left something yeah. out there. But you have to give props to Steph Curry, who had zero points. He had zero points stuff at halftime and he ended with 33 so and it comes were, to the, were point, the rockets like only up one at the half yeah or were they was, down it, it might have been was it tied it might have been tied like 57 57 it was, it was like a one point difference it was a very close game and a half and I, I was actually at your favorite place on friday night at the parker house shout out to seager new jersey and, oh, shout out and i'm watching from the parker house and i'm checking the stats i also had uh you know maybe some entertainment purpose reasons for steph curry to get under 31 and a half points um, so I'm watching the game, and I'm like, I don't see Steph really hit any shots in the first half. I'm not super-duper locked into the first half because I'm out and about. But I'm checking my phone. You know, what's he got? Zero, 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 zero. I'm in the bathroom at halftime. Check my phone. Holy hell. Steph Curry has zero points at halftime. What is going on? How is this game tied? Clay the most in- impressive part of that whole story is that you had cell phone service at the Parker House. In the basement, nonetheless. Crazy, right? But yeah. se- second half, I post up. At the TV, so now I'm locked in for the second half, and all of a sudden he starts going bonkers. He hits shots that are not easy, not ones that you can blame bad defense for. You could just say Steph Curry did what Steph Curry does, and he keeps shooting, and they start falling. But for him to go from zero to thirty-three is absolutely incredible. And maybe there should have been an adjustment for the Rockets to say we will do whatever we have to do to make sure this guy doesn't start making shots. And that didn't quite happen. But you also have to tip your cap because Steph Curry, and he made it clear that though they were sad that Kevin Durant was hurt, they were watering at the mouth at the opportunity to show that they are no slouch. And not just no slouch, that they are still championship worthy without the best player in the world right now. Do you think they are? Yeah, absolutely. They really do? Absolutely. They're still championship worthy. I mean, Kevin Looney... I don't know because you think about it. The best, the one thing that round two kind of kind of told me was the team with the best player is going to win the series. Like I, I get that's the classic trope in basketball, but really the only series where that wasn't um, wasn't true was maybe Denver, right. Portland. Yeah, but you could also make the the argument that well, yeah, with Jokic being the best player, but you could also make the argument that kind of in in bigger moments and bigger spots. C.J. McCollum might have been the best player in the series. Well, what I was going to say was the yeah. Dame Lillard-McCollum combo combined to yeah. be the best player. So, like, they Because kind of, they had the best two players, right. on, like that overall was better than the best two players on the Nuggets, they, essentially. They combined and kind of traded games in a way. Like C.J. was the story for Game 6 and 7, but Dame had his moments elsewhere. And also, even yeah. though Dame wasn't scoring at a high clip, he was doing a lot of things. He was very impactful. Um, without putting the ball in the hoop, which is impressive nonetheless. Um, but I would agree. Jokic was probably the only best player in those uh, second-round series that didn't advance. Because um, James Harden, though he was still really good, Steph Curry proved in that second half that he was the best player on the court. 100%. 100%. In, in that half, in that game, and really, like, 
all these, you know, cliches, best player, best series, all this shit gets thrown out the window when it's an elimination game, especially in a game seven. So, but other times you'd see it proves more true. It all depends on the situation and what you choose to believe and what supports your evidence, right? But what evidence supports your theory? Um, but I really feel like James Harden. I, I I feel bad for him. I feel I feel bad for the Rockets. Like Steph Curry, definitely. That's weird coming out of your mouth, by the way. Dude, I really feel bad for them. I I honestly do. It's just because it's not like they're full of players I don't like. Like I I really feel like I've defended Harden more than other players. Like I know we had the bet and all that stuff with you, and me, Frank. But I Harden's game really grew on me. I really admired Maury like going after it, and when all these other teams are kind of just folding, and even after I said like, why are you even bothering? Just you know, tank, get your players, and move on. Wait for, wait it out, wait out the storm, all that stuff. But they really went after it. They they decided like, not how can we be the best team? How can we beat the best team? Like that's really was their singular focus. I like D'Antoni, right. I like his career, and I I admire that he's sticking to his guns so hard after all of this even though I just, he should switch it up and he should in certain moments, but the the principle of it, I appreciate the only person on the Rockets that I really don't like is Chris Paul. And like, that's, I'm okay with Chris Paul being devastated. If it means that everyone else has to be devastated. Like that's how much I really don't like Chris Paul. <laughs> it's so strong and it's so fair. It really is. I mean, he's the worst. I, he can't retire soon enough, man. He really just can't. It, 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 he could sneakily be the most unlikable guy in the league right now. And it's so weird. If you, if you can actually find the power in your mind to think back to the Hornets version of Chris Paul and how likable that player was like that dude was a six foot, nothing 23 year old as a top five player in the league probably could have won an MVP at the age of 22 or 23, but kind of, you know, the analytics, if the analytics were around then like stronger, he might've had, he might have an MVP in his, in his, uh, in his book. Like he really might, he was that good back then. And he went to LA Clippers and we know he was still really good, but then he became the complainer and he became the superstar and the unlikable whiner who hated everybody and everything clashed with coaches and teammates. And he became so unlikable and it's rubbed off on the Rockets. I do believe that the Harden thing is uh, true. Like, some people just don't like watching him or don't like the fouls or blah, blah, blah. But it, it's the underlying Chris Paul effect that lead them to be even more unlikable, for sure. He's just such a dick. Like, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know how to say it. Like, all this, yeah. f- like, elbowing people, kicking people, like, just making faces and making fun of people all the time. Like, it's, it's like, malicious. Like, uh, like I get a bit of gamesmanship, trash talking, you know. I, I obviously like Joel Embiid, and I have nothing wrong with him going back and forth with players. Like I don't like Russ, but when him him and Russ go back and forth with each other, like that's awesome. Like that's that's just really entertaining to watch. And but I know that comes from a place of competition. When I see Chris Paul do it, it it really seems like it comes from a place of just him being an asshole. I don't know how else to put it. Like when I watch him, I just see an absolute asshole. It's tough. It's true. It's tough. It's going to be interesting to see where the Rockets go this offseason. It's going to be interesting to see where a lot of teams go this offseason. Um, real quick. Yo, you know who else is an asshole, though? Who's that? Fucking Jennifer. <laughs> Why? Yo, she's just steady getting dunked on these she's, playoffs. She's getting so dunked on. She's on multiple posters by my own Twitter account. I, I've tweeted at least three times that I'm, that I'm Jennifer. This one's for you. Jennifer! 
this one's for you. That's how I feel every time I see the Blazers win, and it's it's great. I'm I'm really happy for Damon CJ. I mean, if we dug up all the pieces on all the different media outlets saying why the Blazers should blow it up, we would have a whole hour's worth of content to go through. Like, it, there's been we, – we may be, be guilty of it ourselves. I can't remember specifically. I feel like you probably I don't, were on that boat. I don't think we point. were. I No, I honestly don't think I ever was. I mean, at least – Remember it, like I think I think I was. I'll say this is revisionist history, but I think I was always in the boat where like tanking is overrated to the point where like look at the Magic, look at the Suns, look at the freaking Cavs when they don't have LeBron. They're just a joke of a franchise. And if mm-hmm. Portland were to trade Dame for picks or trade CJ for picks, what are they doing? They're doing nothing, right? So I'm always happy to see a team try and win, and that's what they've done year in and year out. And now they have a chance in the Western Conference Finals, and it's there's not. A team in the league right now, maybe outside the Bucks, but even the Bucks, they're a one seed, so they automatically get some hate. The Raptors have uh, years of doubt that they built in us to expect them to lose. The Trailblazers have the same doubt, but they have two guys who are so likable in, C- in Damon CJ that I don't think there's anybody who wouldn't be happy to see them succeed. I completely agree with that. Well, you, they, they're easily the two. They, they certainly have the highest approval rating amongst players remaining. I think. Right. Maybe Giannis. And Giannis is very well-liked right now, but he also hasn't been big enough or around long enough to gain the haters. And yeah. as I said with Steph Curry four or five years ago, if you're on top long enough, the hate will come some way, somehow. So I'm sure it's on its way for Giannis, even though it's crazy to imagine it at this point in time. But let's talk about these series. I don't want to spend too much more time here. We have a long podcast today. Um, let's talk about Raptors Bucks first. And let's talk about the Bucks because they've been out of mind for a bit because they won that series against the Celtics so handily, right? Mm-hmm. So what do the Bucks have to do outside of Giannis doing 30, 15, and 5 every game? What are the keys to success to stopping the Raptors and playing uh, you know, good offense as a Milwaukee team? Stop Kawhi. That's literally it. Like, if, if there's one thing... that I feel like the Sixers defensively did everything right. Like, Lowry imploded, Siakam took a major step back. Marcus Saul was pretty much an, I mean, like he was okay, but he, he, he wasn't anything like he was essentially a non-factor like he, he did well on Embiid, but how much of that is Embiid's injury? How much of that is illness? We'll never know. And it, it's not fair to him, but like, that's just the narrative. Sorry. Um, but the only one who really played out of his mind was Kawhi. And that's what everyone expected. I mean, Serge Ibaka had an amazing game seven, obviously, but, you always need someone like that to to step up in the moment. And I think people will forget about him just because of that shot that, that Kawhi had. And deservedly so. That was like top three, top five all-time playoff moments like in terms of clutch shooting. So really for the Bucks, you have to zero in on Kawhi and make everyone else beat you because the Sixers kind of proved that's the formula. They didn't do a good enough job of trying to contain Kawhi, making him feel uncomfortable he was getting to his spots nonstop. Um, so other than that, like that's it, it's really just one bullet point. So Stop Kawhi. Let me play devil's advocate here. Let's just say, and I think this might possibly be true, Kawhi Leonard is unstoppable, okay? Let's just say that. Let's just say that no matter what the Bucks throw at Kawhi Leonard, he's good for 35. He averages 35 again in this series, right? Okay. So then it comes down to the other Raptors not being great, being average or below average. 
what do the Bucks then have to do offensively to just outscore Kawhi, if that makes sense. So let's just, well, we're chalking it up. Kawhi's unstoppable. What's bullet point two or bullet point two and three for the Bucks? Bullet point two is still defensive. It's it's end possessions. You have to rebound. You can't give them extra possessions. You can't do what the Sixers did and give up offensive rebounds. You have to end. Like if Kawhi misses, you need to grab that ball. You need to end that possession because that is a gift from God at this point. Like you seriously just need to take it and run. Um, number three is Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon, Eric Bledsoe, George Hill. All those guys need to hit, like take and make catch and shoot threes. Pat Connaughton. They need to provide Pat Connaughton. Yes, they need to provide as much spacing as possible for Giannis to get inside and operate because. They have a lot of different bodies that they can throw at Giannis at this point. Because he's not a great shooter, they can kind of just put stick uh, Marcus Gasol on him, and Marcus Gasol can use his tremendous de- defensive instincts and positioning in the paint to slow him down. They could put Serge Ibaka on him, who's a little more athletic, but it's essentially the same thing. Or they could even put Kawhi on him and 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 pressure him out on the perimeter to make him feel uncomfortable. And Kawhi's got those long arms; so they can really poke in there. And reach the ball. I think they have three really interesting and and Siakam. Yeah, essentially the same thing as Kawhi. I was just gonna say I think Siakam will be on him to start and most often. Yeah. So so really they have four guys they can throw at him in different situations and and can really stagger the minutes. Like that's the one thing if I'm a Raptors fan, I can lean back on and say, we have we have four different strategies. We can go with really three because I mean, I think Kawhi and Siakam are essentially the same defenders, and you don't really want Kawhi on Giannis if he's gonna be your major major offensive uh load bear so that's the that's the thing if i'm the raptors is i can defend Giannis in a, a plethora of ways but really for the bucks just hit open shots yeah it comes down to brooke not shooting 15 percent from three it comes down to brogdon being brogdon hill and bledsoe they have three of these guys now who can all shoot pretty solidly from three but also and, content. Cl- uh, and middleton and Content, yeah, Content and Milton, they can all, you know, attack a closeout, put the ball on the ground, uh, make the right pass, or finish in the lane. These secondary guys, let's just say this, let's just be honest here. Giannis, Kawhi, two of the three or four best players left in this playoffs if Kevin Durant gets healthy. Easily. Not, there's not even a real question there, right? Giannis mm-hmm. and Kawhi are that good. They're two of the three best players in the league probably right now. I'd say, I'd say it's healthy Kevin Durant. And then you can exchange Giannis or Kawhi, either one at this point. Right. So let's say they're a wash. They're 35 and 10. They're just dominating offensively. They're tough to be stopped. It's going to come down to some of these other guys. And you look at the supporting cast of both teams. Chris Middleton shooting the lights out still and again in the playoffs. He has to be special. He has to be 20 points a game. Because if Chris Middleton can do 25 points, have one game where he goes for 28, be consistent as a shooter, that alone might be enough offensively to put the Bucks ahead of the Raptors. Because who is going to match, say Kawhi and Giannis are a wash, 35 points a pop, who's matching Middleton scoring if he's on? Who on the Raptors? Siakam. Siakam, if Siakam. he's playing out of his mind, if he's, if he's in regular season form. Right. He needs to be 10 of 13 with 6 for 6 from free throw just to be close. Because if Chris Middleton's shooting 46% from three like he's been so far this season or this playoffs – I mean, that becomes super tough. George Hill is reinvigorated. Pat Connaughton is a role player who's actually making a difference. And that's not even counting Brooke Lopez, Ersan Ilyasova, Nikola Mirotic. This team- is it, I feel like these playoffs are, are really about role players who have become more empowered. 
Right. Like you think about Rodney Hood, George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez. You know, even though he hasn't been great, he's still. Who's that? Seth Curry. Seth Curry. Seth. Seth. Oh, yeah, yeah. Seth Curry. Man, that's annoying, huh? Uh, (laughs) Seth Curry. But as great as like the top talent in the league has been these playoffs, seeing seeing these role players be more empowered, and that's the point you're getting at. Is I agree with is. The Bucks ancillary players, the supporting cast has been much, much more effective in the past round, at least, right? So if the Raptors continue to be the Raptors, except for Kawhi, like it, it really seems like the Bucks have the edge. And I'm not just saying this because the Raptors beat the Sixers. Like it, it's it's plain as day for anyone to see that that the role guys on the Bucks have been certainly outplaying what the Raptors have been doing. And it feels like the Bucks should be the heavy favorite, and Vegas doesn't completely agree. So they're minus 270. So they're definitely the firm favorite in this uh, series here. But it's not very strong. Just looking across the other conference, the Warriors are minus 5-something. They're minus 510 or something like that. So the Warriors are obviously still looked at as the prohibitive favorite in that series. And though the Bucks are favorite, just based off of feel and based off of the struggle that the Raptors had to go through to close out the seemingly struggling Sixers, uh, you would think that the Bucks would be a heavy, heavy favorite here. So when you see that odds uh, for the series only being 270, which is a favorite but not a crazy, crazy favorite, does that make you second-guess uh, that we're not giving the Raptors enough credit? Or do you think it's just the layoff for the for the Bucks might be a little rusty? What, what, what's that about? Uh, those The lines are sometimes less about what the actual – odds on a team winning or losing a series are it's about getting even money on either side i think this has a lot to do with what you mentioned before that the bucks have kind of just been on the side for a while and people haven't been thinking about them and now Kawhi's shot is just going to be something that people jump on and it's going to be part of nba lore forever and so people are going to be like wow like raptors might have a team of destiny thing going for him here um i i think it's more about that than the actual basketball because it it, it seems like the Bucks would be the favorite here after just how poorly everyone else on the Raptors played this series except for Kawhi. All right, so let's close off on this series. Um, give me your prediction for the series and your non-Giannis Kawhi X-Factor. Uh, I'd say Bucks in six. Let's say six, sure. Uh, they, beat, they beat the Raptors on their home court this year. Um, I'd say Bucks in six. Um, my non Giannis X Factor, non Giannis Kawhi X Factor, yeah, yeah. Oh, non Giannis Kawhi X Factor. I mean, it, it's Chris Middleton and Kyle Lowry. It's it's the next two guys up. Like it, it, you you think of the the Nuggets and the Blazers. Like you had, um, CJ was the guy this series, and Jokic was the guy, and then it was Jamal Murray or Dame Lillard. You know who could. Outplay one another with the with the random Rodney Hood or Will Barton game that got peppered in. Like it, it really comes down to just one or two guys in every series. And then if you're gonna win the series, you need the third guy to have one game just out of nowhere, kind of steal you a game the way Rodney Hood did in game what was it game three? Might have game been late, three might, in Portland in that, later than that quadruple overtime. Oh yes, yes. I wasn't even thinking of that. That feels like forever ago. <laughs> it does, right? Oh my god, that was what, like over a week ago at this point, like well, ten days. 
I think it was, yeah, it was definitely over a week ago. But that's, but last Friday. you think about it more often than not, like think about Andre Iguodala in game six, who goes five for eight, like just Serge Ibaka in game seven. Like people won't for, remember Serge, but it Dude, happened. Sneaky Evan Turner hadn't done sneaky more. Evan Turner in hasn't, game seven. Hasn't hit more than like three buckets all playoffs. He had three buckets and like seven free throws in, in game seven. He more than doubled his points in like a quarter. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Bucks and six as well, just because you want to uh, you assume that they win it on their home floor, but I would not be shocked if this goes seven. Um, I I mean also it's hard to say I can't imagine the Bucks just going five too, but I'm not gonna go there. Uh, and I'm gonna say it's Brook Lopez, and I'm gonna say both ends of the, both ends of the floor, Brook Lopez. So we all know he likes ripping from thirty feet and can pull with the best of seven footers in the history of the NBA at this point. But defensively, he is very important because he loves camping out around the rim and just being that rim protector, that vertical threat to just alter shots. He doesn't block a ton of shots, but he alters. So if Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka can't pull Brooke Lopez away from the hoop enough, if they don't trust Mark's shot or Serge's shot, and Brooke gets to hang around the rim and just make life that much harder for Siakam and that much harder for Kawhi and Kyle Lowry and... Uh, whoever else may slash for the Raptors in a given game, I think Brooke Lopez with the spacing on offense and the rim protection on defense can be the X factor um, for the Bucks in this series. I want to see the Bucks play some zone. I want to see everyone box have and, box their and main focus. Box and one? Uh, I don't know about... Uh, maybe. I don't, honestly, <laughs> honestly? I don't know. Uh, but at least some zone. You like switch it up. You have the personnel to do it. You have the length. You have the athletes. Just make sure everyone is aware of what Kawhi is doing, with or without the ball. He's the number one priority, with or without the ball. Yeah, for sure. It's not, it's not, it's not even close either. All right, last thing. Um, we were kind of running out of time here. I think a lot of the things we've kind of touched on with the Warriors and Blazers series, so let's just, let's just run right to the prediction portion of this series. We talked about Steph and Clay and Draymond and Iggy. Talked about Dame, CJ, and the others. Um, what's your prediction and non Let's say non All Star level player X factor. So non non Clay Steph, non backcourt star. You know, non Stay Clef, non Dame CJ X factor plus prediction for the series. Um, I'll say Warriors in five. I don't think it goes past six. Um, and I'll say their X factor is still Andre Iguodala. He's their most important perimeter defender. Um, with the load that, like, Clay, no shots at Clay Thompson. It's just he has to carry a, a much greater offensive load, and anything Andre Godala gives him offensively is such a bonus. So he, he's their most important per, perimeter defender. Um, and then for the Blazers, I'm going to... I'm going to go with Zach Collins. If he can pull... If he can pull the big men or... You know, like if he can hang with their small ball lineup of the Warriors by making a couple open threes every every game and really doing a good job defending the rim, I think it's going to be real tough for him, especially when Kevin Durant comes back. Um, they're saying KD's not going to be playing game one, probably not game two either. Um, but I think the Warriors can at least split. And then once Kevin Durant comes back, it just it really shifts the balance, even if he's not, you know, scoring 30 plus a game like he's been doing in these playoffs. Um just the fact that he's the number one person you have to game plan for, and then he might not be even the best player on the court because it's the fucking Warriors. Um, <laughs> so I, I really feel bad for the Blazers. Like fun, fun season. 
I appreciate it, but it's kind of just like when Kevin Durant was laughing at CJ on his own podcast. Yes, it's back. It's it's back. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. I'm gonna be boring. I'm gonna say Warriors in five. I'm gonna go with X factors for the Blazers. I'm gonna say it's Enos Cantor because there's two things that can happen. One's very pro Blazers and one's very anti Blazers. The anti-Blazers one is where the Warriors find Enos Cantor on defense, and before you know it, he cannot even play in the series, right? There's a possibility that if he gets taken advantage of on defense, attack double zero every time, like Devin Booker said when Enos was on the Knicks, that he can he could not even be in the game. And it's going to be a heavy dose of Zach Collins and Myers Leonard over Enos Cantor. But that being and this said, is a, no shots at Enos Cantor. This is a very pro Enos Cantor. Exactly. Pro Enos Cantor here. But that being said, if he can just be a zero on defense and not a negative 10, if he could be a yeah. zero on defense and just do enough rebounding and enough shot altering and not get completely torched, he can be an X factor offensively because the one thing that can crush the Warriors is offensive rebounding, and that's perhaps Enos Cantor's best trait by a million. So if Enos Cantor can be okay enough defensively just to stay on the court and he just racks up offensive boards and makes them go big or makes them worry too much about rebounding and not getting out for easy threes, I think he could actually have a positive impact on this game, on this series. And I'm going to go flip side. I'm going to say um, Draymond and Kevin Looney, but I'm going to focus on Kevin Looney because there were moments in that Rocket series where I said, this guy can't be on the court. Harden's going to find Looney and pick him out, and he's done. He can't do anything. Get him off the court. But then by the end of the series, Kevon Looney was having such a positive impact. He was doing enough on defense. He was rebounding, and he was playing pretty good defense, taking care of business offensively when getting the ball near the hoop, putting it in. So Draymond Green can obviously play that role. We expect him to play that role. But if Looney can handle it, handle 25 minutes a game for the Warriors, it allows Draymond to do some of these other things that we know he does when it's slash, it's pass, it's play defense on the best players on the other team. Um, so Kevin Looney, Enos Cantor, my X Factors, uh, Warriors in five. <laughs> I hope I, I hope it's more exciting than that. I mean, it would yeah. honestly at this point it would be awesome to see the Blazers pull this miraculous upset. Like that would be sick. This is not me like poo pooing what the Blazers are doing. This is me just acknowledging that the Warriors are just fucking. A juggernaut. Absolutely. It's true. And they even, I, I've, there's been whispers that even uh, Boogie might come back in this series. Exactly. So we shall see. The Warriors start off on Tuesday night after the draft lottery, which uh, we touched on in our open. So draft lottery Tuesday night. Pray for the Knicks. Pray for the Cavs to not get number one. Uh, it's that simple. We for got the love of God. Just not the Cavs. Not the Cavs. Anyone but fucking Ohio. Please. Not Ohio. Um, but anyways, the Eastern and Western Conference playoffs about to commence. Cannot wait for more exciting NBA playoff basketball. It's been a blast. We're going to stay with you guys on the Sports Blog New York podcast. Thank you all for tuning in every week, listening to the NBA talk throughout the season. And, of course, we got some baseball updates as well on the SBNY podcast. John Lucas Duffy, my man, thank you. Thanks, Pete. And speaking of a baseball update, Let's talk some Yankees. Let's talk some Mets. Let's talk some Major League Baseball. We're long overdue for a New York baseball update. And you know what it is on the SBNY Podcast when it's time for a baseball update. It's time for Alec Argento. So stay tuned. Here's me, Pete Kennedy, and my guy, Alec Argento. All right, we're here on the Sports Blog New York Podcast. Pete Kennedy here joined with my guy. It's been too long. It's been way too long with the NBA playoffs, with the NFL draft. 
with all this stuff going on. We, we haven't had time for a good quality New York baseball update. And you know what that means. When we have the New York baseball update, it's very obvious who's going to be here with us talking about it. And that's my man, Alec Argento. What's up, dog? Wow, I don't know what that was, but please never do it again. <laughs> it was a show of excitement. Oh, okay, oh, thank you. you. Right. Actually, can you do it again? Nope. All right, good. Uh, anyways, Al Gargento here. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to do a baseball update because I, I, I would have to look up when we did one. What did we do on, like the first week of the season? Is the last time we talked baseball? I don't think we've ever done one before. Ever, yeah, never, never, not even dating back two years, probably. But we did, I think we did one the first week of the season, yeah. Yeah, we first week of the season, uh, as like what happened two years in a row now. The Yankees were having a lackluster start. The Mets were looking strong. Uh, there's some hype around the Mets. There's Pete Alonso. There's uh, Jeff McNeil, who's still playing really well. We're going to get into all this, but the Yankees were underwhelming. They were hurt. They're still hurt, but somehow, some way. The Yankees are now rolling, if you will, maybe. I don't know if we want to go there, but they're they're playing well. They have a lot of guys still hurt, but are still good putting the wins on the board. The Mets have been underwhelming. They're sitting at a game under 500. But uh, just like last year, Alec, it was a lot quicker than we thought after the first week before the Mets and Yankees had the same record, and then the Yankees surpassed the Mets. Uh, is this an obvious thing that's going to happen all the time now? What's going on here? I don't know. Really pumped. I thought the Mets were, were had it this year. Um, I mean, the division's still kind of underwhelming. I think they could still just come back out of nowhere. Who knows? But Yank- Yankees are great. Uh, best team ever. Uh, a lot of likable players were in it. <laughs> what, what? 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 A lot of likable players? What, Yankees' best team ever? What? I said Yankees are best team ever. A lot of likable players were in it. We're never going to lose a game again. Ah, well, I mean, you're lucky. I guess Monday night's game got rained out. You might have lost that one. Yeah, but you know what? Everyone, everyone thinks that, you know, okay, the Yankees, they, uh, uh, they they don't play any good teams. They don't do anything. We're 7-2 in the last uh, – against the, uh, the first-place Twins, best record in baseball, two wins against the Rays at, uh, at the trot, uh, you know, power outages and everything like that. Uh, at the time, second-best uh, uh, record in the division with the Mariners. We're doing great, man. Yes. And a bunch of no-names, and I'm in love with Gio Rochelle. He's the best person ever. He's – uh, totally fixed my the loss of uh, Miggy to Miggy back uh, on the DL. So we're doing good, man. Good times. Yeah, Miggy's the most recent news with his injury, but Urshela, is it Urshela or Urshela? Giovanni Urshela. Urshela. He's been a friggin' diamond in the rough. He's come out of nowhere. And then you got guys who are just proving themselves to be professional baseball players, guys like DJ LeMayhew. Um, I mean, Gary Sanchez up and up and down, a uh, little banged up the other day, but guy just puts the ball over the fence. And, and the Yankees now are in this place where e- even where they're what they're doing is still negatively perceived by many fans. Obviously, you're taking a much more positive look at it. Um, but we always have this conversation seemingly with the Yankees. Is this not a, a good job by Aaron Boone? I know you've been very critical. You think the the bullpen management by Aaron Boone is trash sometimes, but with the hand that he's been dealt, for them to be what six games over five hundred right now, but I'm gonna double check that in a second. Uh, are you not impressed? Yeah, you have to be, and, and you know me, I'm the biggest Aaron Boone hater there is. Dude's gonna win the manager of the year if he keeps up. Obviously, it's a long season, but to to do this and and for them to be as exciting and as fun as they've been too. 
with all the comeback wins and you know uh, next man up, all that good stuff. Aaron Boone has to be you know a manager that you're favorite at the moment. Beating beating the teams he's supposed to, uh, and beating the teams that, you know that are at the top of their division too. And that's a huge thing too, is that they're beating the teams that they're supposed to this year, which never happens. I mean, times the Yankees lose to the Orioles all the time, or, or whatever the case is. It's, now, we're in a good spot, and it's 100% due to Aaron Boone. And he's been flawless with the bullpen, even with people who are just completely underperforming with, like, uh, like Chad Green and everything like that. And he's making it work, and he's making lovable losers again, like uh, like it was in, like, uh, 2017. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it really is impressive with all these injuries. I, I, we can go through the list, but some of them are obvious. Aaron Judge, Jim Stanton. The fact that the two most important hitters perhaps in the lineup have just been out for basically the entire season right now and, and you're just rattling off wins and you're a half game behind Tampa right now and uh, before I said you guys were six games above 500 eight games above 500 at the moment 24 and 16 um, half game behind the Rays beating the Rays beating Blake Snell like that stuff is so important early in the season and when everybody's jumped on the Yankees early on you, you, you keep saying to yourself you know what they're going to turn it around but this year you almost didn't know if you can be that confident because of all these injuries. Um, but is there any other players that, like, you said Urshela, you mentioned uh, a pitcher or two. Is there any other hitter, the guy in the lineup you see day in, day out, who you're just like, is this making you really proud, if, if that makes sense? Uh, yeah, I mean, DJ LeMahieu for sure, but I, mean, I don't even know if that counts because he's, uh, you know, he, this is something everyone wanted the Machados and everything. I remember getting on the podcast and saying, going to be happy with him. Uh, it, it's not the flash of signing, but Vigil and Mayhew has done everything you can want from him. And, and something we've been missing for years, which is that contact guy. And he comes up in big moments every time, just slapping the single. He can direct the ball. He points it in the right direction. Uh, and it's super exciting. And I, I know you said hitters, but Domingo Herman might be the best pitcher in baseball so far. Wow. <laughs> he might, if, if the season ended right now, he probably there's a good shot he would start the all game. If it, if it was right now, uh, he's got the most wins in baseball. I think he's like got the fifth best ERA. Um, guys lights out. He, he's absolutely lights out. And people forget he was a throw-in. Uh, he was a lottery ticket that was a throw-in for uh, in the uh, Martin Prado David Phelps trade. Well, fun fact about uh, about uh, doing it wrong. It wasn't supposed to be anything. And I mean, uh, we're we're gonna, we're going to talk about this later, but I want to give like a little taste to the things that run through my head during this time of year with the NBA playoffs going on. Because the NBA is very much with the analytics, kind of have taken a play out of the Moneyball playbook, which gives you, it's not really about the stars, right? It's not about finding Mike Trout. You're going to find Mike Trout all on your lonesome. You don't need to be a wise guy to figure that one out. But to find these guys who are undervalued, a guy who's in AAA who just needs a chance because um, his analytic statistics are actually better than his traditional ones, that's kind of like what goes on with the average guys or the slightly below or slightly below above average guys in baseball and basketball, which helps you build a team. I was actually a quote from Billy Bean just today, basically saying how dealing with Brian Cashman is a pain in the ass. And he's like, you can quote me on that. <laughs> I believe the quote was dealing with cash is a pain in the ass. You can quote me on that. And it makes so much sense because the Yankees are able to plug and play a guy like Luke Voigt, who has proven though he's not, you know, he's hitting only two in the two thirties. He's not proving to be a superstar, but the guy's a power hitter. His on-base percentage is well over 100 points higher than his average, and he's playing I mean, a super 42-game on-base streak. Right, and he's <laughs> playing a super important role in a lineup that needs all the help it can get. Um, the funny thing is now with basketball, with the three-pointers, the free throws, and all that stuff, 
does it translate to the playoffs? And that's exactly what you just mentioned with DJ LeMahieu. But LeMahieu, you don't need to wait for him to hit home run. He's going to do little things every single day that are going to position the team in a better spot. Yeah, and, and you know, I was looking at the, I was looking at the pitching stats today. Uh, outside of uh, outside of JA Happ, everyone on the team has a sub four ERA, and JA Happ really only had in like his past five stop, uh, starts, he's only had one bad start where he gave up I think five in five and two thirds. The, the the starting pitching has been fantastic, and obviously you're we're missing Paxton right now, but his he should he might be able to start next week, which is great. Um, he might he doesn't looks like he doesn't even need a rehab since so. If, you, if it's not for that starting pitching, this team is in the position that it's in right now. So you have to give all the credit in the world for the starting pitching right now and timely hits. And it's just one of those things where it's exciting and they're never out of any game and, and everyone's contributing and you get to know these bases. And even if they're not overall contributing, like a guy like Mike Kaufman or something like that, they come in and get the big hits and, and they're in, it's endearing. You know, they could still hit the two oh five or something like that, but when it matters they're making the big hit, which is something that the Yankees have always been the opposite, right? They had guys with great stats who never come up big in, in the big moments of over the past two years. And and when you're missing people like Didi Gregorius who are your heart and soul of the team to have those guys make those big hits and it comes from a different person every time, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean just think about a team where your ace starting pitcher, Luis Severino your absolute superstar, Aaron Judge, your best power hitter, Giancarlo Stanton, and your best all-around hitter, probably, in D.D. Gregorius. All out. All absolutely irrelevant for this season. All absolutely ruining my futures bets, a.k.a. Aaron Judge, for MVP. <laughs> <laughs> and and the team is still just ticking up, ticking up, ticking up, putting the wins on the board. And you even see, you know, if you follow, like, you know, ESPN or MLB Network, whatever, they put out their power rankings. And the Yankees haven't been number one. They haven't been number one yet, but all of a sudden, after like that second week of the season or third week of the season, oh, they're sixth in the power rankings. Oh, they're fourth in the power rankings. Now they're third in the power rankings. And though the Rays have been solid, now moving forward as the Yankees get more and more healthy, you can only imagine that their consistency will get better and better. Currently, they're on pace to win about 94 games, and I think they're over-under. Actually, I know their over-under was at 96.5, and And now, even after that, pretty lackluster start, underwhelming start, 96 wins seems like the benchmark. It seems obvious. It seems like, I don't want to say it's a given because nothing's given in this league, but you look at this team and you just got to tip your hat to Brian Cashman again because there's all these guys that whether you heard of them or whether they, they came out of the uh, the minors or they finally got healthy like Clint Frazier helping out for, for portions of the season, I mean, it's incredibly impressive and, and there's not really much more to say about it. And, and it, what's the most impressive is that they've kept pace at, at the very least, and the Red Sox are just back in it. They're back. Uh, they the got back real quick. The, the, <laughs> yeah, Red Sox are even coming in today. It's three games out of out of first. So you, 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 they've been able to keep themselves in it, be ahead of the Red Sox, who have I think won like nine of their last eleven or something like that, and just they're they're looking like the, the cream of the crop in the East. Yeah, and I didn't even mention possibly your best relief pitcher um, in Batances, not your closer, but your best reliever, other reliever, Batances yeah. hurt. Like, there's like just a, there's a laundry list of people who are just not able to help this team, and yet day in, day out, you have faith that the Yankees can figure out a way to win. Um, now, can you speak to any specific reasons why you're pleased with Boone, other than like the obvious thing of like this team is overachieving with all the injuries? 
Uh, but is there anything specifically that maybe you think Boone has improved upon year over year? No, I, I just think I think I think it's his, the reason that we we were always told that Boone was going to be our manager is that he was a clubhouse guy, right? And and that's something that the analytics don't really value. So he was he it's it's the opposite of Joe Girardi in the Bayern, and, and it's hard to quantify that, especially when there's expectations because you know he came in when the Yankees were a game out of the World Series. So there was already an expectation that they were a great team. And he didn't really have anything to prove. So, you know, you win that 100-game season, it's to be expected. It's nothing special. The fact that he can keep that team motivated the entire way through is incredibly impressive. Um, and not getting down to not pulling the woe-is-me factor, you know, which is super easy to do in this situation, that's 100% due in part to the manager. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it helps to have people like, Stevie's still there, and Aaron Judge there, and, and Brett Gardner, who are the, those ultimate clubhouse guys. But really, you know, he has to keep them happy too. And I think that that's that's what the biggest advantage is in having someone like that is having that players coach that's able to uh, drive that. It is such a weird thing, right, with MLB managers now. You know, you you don't. Well, uh, when I say you know, I should say you don't know what exactly are they doing like what strings are they pulling what decisions are they making where it's fully their decision or like you know it's it's easy to assume that Aaron Boone's handed this sheet with the lineup on it and his subs in this situation and his bullpen in this situation and then you go well what is he really doing but like you said there is this underlying thing where we have to remember that human beings are playing this game where it's not just a, a simulation in MLB the show and the fact that a team can get demoralized with injuries and come out expecting to win every night goes to a point where it's unmeasurable. And, you know, the Mets have been riddled with injuries year over year for about as long as I can remember. And we blame the training staff or we blame bad signings of old players and Yoannis Cespedes hurt again, blah, blah, blah. Like we go down this line of things that just keep happening to the Mets. And now something happens to the Yankees, and it goes to why they're such a top-notch organization. They bring in a guy, an absolute journeyman, Cameron Mabin, who's basically been, like, has he been irrelevant, right? Like, he's been an average at best player for the past, like, what, five years maybe? And now he comes in, he's hitting 300, playing a good right field out there. Like, it it truly is remarkable, and I hate it. Like, it sucks. It's uh, Uh, a huge thing. The huge thing that you know I've always had a huge issue with uh, Aaron Boone is the um, you know keeping the reliever out there for a non you know putting him in a, in, a, in a non-clean inning and then keeping him out there the inning after which always results in runs like 120 percent of the time uh, he's not done that anymore which is huge. That was a very simple ask for you too. Yeah, <laughs> very simple. You would just text me. I wouldn't even be watching the game. I'll be doing like watching NBA or something, and you're texting like. Uh, he's leaving a guy out for an extra <laughs> inning. Here we go. I'm just like, I'm not watching, but I'll trust you. And then there you go. Boom. A couple of runs pop on the board. And you never care. No, I, 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 I mean, you know, it's, it's a tough time for me, and you know this. Like with the NBA playoffs, especially in the first two rounds where there's literally games every single night, most nights have multiple games, I'm so locked in on that. And uh, the most I've been able to really watch baseball is when, like, there's – the Mets were on the West Coast. I watched the whole Mets versus Padres series because it was on late enough where I could kind of pay attention to two things at once. Um, so, yeah, I haven't been super locked in. That happens just naturally for me with, with the NBA and the NFL draft going on. And then once the NBA playoffs kind of slow down, I get to watch more baseball. But to keep a tab on it, I mean, I know, I'm speaking from personal level here. 
I have all these Yankees on my my fantasy team this year, and just watching Luke Voigt just hit jacks and Gary Sanchez, I, you know he's hitting a home run every eight and a half plate appear, uh, at bats, not plate appearances. Every nine at bats, he's hitting a home run. Like that's incredible. Gary Sanchez is? Yeah, Gary Sanchez. For every he has ninety two at bats this year. He has eleven home runs. Uh, do the quick math. It's like eight point something. And I mean, he's not hitting for the average. Maybe he's not that guy. Maybe when when we were saying two years ago, and I say we because I'm pretty sure you were on board with me on this last year before his horrible season, I was saying that this guy's the best hitter on the team. This guy can be one of the best hitting catchers of all time. And I didn't feel hyperbolic saying that because but he still is. And he still he, he still <laughs> he, is. He can hit, he can hit two twenty and still be one of the best hitting catchers in the league, if not the best hitting catcher in the league. I I, I mean yeah. I, off the top of my head the 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 catchers that jumped to mind like JT Real Mudo, um Maybe what's his name, the the Cubs catcher Castillo is his name. Uh, even even sure. Wilson Ramos sure. who who hits for a good a good average. Like these guys have nothing when it comes to run production on Gary Sanchez. But, you, but you're in a league. You're in a league right now in an era where average is meaningless. Nobody gives a shit about average. Far my language, but you know it's just not what it used to be. It's all about OPS. He's got one of the highest OPSs like I've ever seen for a catcher. Um, guy just slams the whole. It's either a home run or a hard hit double or or, or like a a line lined out to like deep right fields or something like that, and he go, he uses all all uh, all sides of the uh, of the outfield too. He can spray the ball, he can pull the ball, which is definitely on the field. He's best when he's going to right center, which is what he's been doing a lot this year. So he's doing a little bit of a, but I I think that that's something to be expected, especially when everybody on the team is going to try to do a little bit too much. So if you can just mitigate that and still pull out some wins, that's huge. And now, as locked in as you are to the Yankees, I'm sure you know the good and the bads, the stuff that still needs to get better. Is there anything that you see, whether it be articles written or just fan talk, that um, is a negative storyline that you can debunk, if you will? Is there anything that sticks out to you when you hear Yankee fans complain that you think is uh, not fair or not true, if that makes sense? Huh. Yeah, I, I think that people people are way too loud on J.A. I think that Jay Happ is someone who is a grizzled veteran. He's, his numbers aren't exactly as um, indicative of how he'll play for the rest of the year. People were really out on him in the beginning, uh, and I think that that's someone who's just going to be solid and he's going to be like a high three uh, ERA for the rest of the year, and he's just going to win games. He, his entire career, he just racks up wins. He's been like an 18 to 20 game winner every year for the past five years. He'll, he'll figure that out. And people are pretty out on him right now, and they don't want to see him. And another thing with Miguel Andujar, let, just on like a complete separate note, let's get him to surgery. Let's not wait and, and pull up any more time and play this. Will he? Won't he play? We need to get that out of there and don't try to act, you know, like a like a um, like he's going to be able to play this year because he came back was not right. He can't field. I mean, I hate to say it because he's on my fantasy team as well, but uh, I think I have to agree. I mean, this guy proved last year that he has such a great upside. He's already a really good hitter, and he has the upside to be a really like top-notch, all-star caliber hitter. And for him to just be struggling that mightily, it, it might be worth it for the long haul especially looking at how well you guys can kind of handle these injuries, obviously. It's not worth forcing him out there. Uh, a guy I want to talk about super quick before we move on to our, our final Yankee thought. Uh, what, what's your feel on Glaber Torres this year? Is there 
a regression? Is there anything you, you like or you don't like specifically? I don't think he, he's super streaky, and maybe that's what he is. I mean, he's kind of like that last year, too. But, um, I feel like he's way in front of every ball that's pitched, and he's fouling it back. Uh, to, to, to back into the right every time. Uh, and he's trying to do too much, and he's trying to pull everything as hard as possible, and he just ends up being in front of everything. So he needs to go a little bit. He needs to use the brace a little bit more than he does. Um, but he play. He, he looks so much more comfortable this year now that he's playing shortstop too, and I think that will help his confidence out. Even though he's going to have to eventually go back to second, uh, I think that that's going to that's going to be good there. But he's. He's been an awesome uh, shortstop for us as well, and it's nice to see his errors go down pretty significantly as well. Um, I, I'm really curious what they do because Didi should be back within like a month or so. Uh, what they're going to do with with our infield? Our infield is going to be all sorts of wacky. Yeah, I mean, you have some good problems now with Lemayhew just being a model of consistency. I don't believe in that. Well, well, well. I don't well, hear me out for a second because luckily you guys have this thing called the designated hitter can help out with an extra spot. Now with Andujar being out and not as not an option with Urshela or Urshela, sorry, Urshela. Yeah, what uh, do you do when our outfield is healthy and you have Clint Frazier who, who's <laughs> and he's looked a little little rough since he's been back, but he, he, before he went on the IL, he was looking awesome. Right, and, just, and then you have Brett Gardner. I mean, you can't have all these people on the bench; it's a waste. Right. Well, Brett Gardner can take his ass and keep it on the bench, if you ask me. That's, that's fair. I'm, I'm fine with that. But, but still, regardless, though, these people need playing time. And I think what's a really good advantage, too, just on a completely side note, is that if they may have to make trades, they will look like they have more than they did when the season started, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody thought that there was any interest in a, in a Gio or Shell. If we had to get rid of him, you know, we could probably get the link of him if we had to flip him for a, uh, for a pitcher or something like that, or, or Talkman or... Um, you know, use any of the people that we, even Tyler Wade started looking looking better when uh, as he played more, which is crazy because he doesn't know how to hit the ball for anything. And you just you know, a lot of people we have a lot more trade bait too, which will really help us towards the deadline. I mean, if you talk about Gio Urshela, I, I don't know what you can expect for him moving forward. He looks like he could be a beast and all, but and it's such a small sample size. But he's batting three forty. He has just under four hundred on base percentage. He he only has a couple home runs right now, and like you know, but he's hitting but doubles. The day, his defense, right? He the best. He's the best uh, defensive third baseman I've ever seen in my life. Well, plays that he makes out there are ridiculous. Well, <laughs> you ever heard of Manny Machado, Nolan Arenado? Have you watched any of the, any of the, the plays that the Gio Rochelle made? Not really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> watch him. Watch, watch him Yankee game. Watch what Gio's doing on a daily basis, and then come talk to me about Manny Machado and, and rolling that around. And be like, oh, maybe they could learn something about from Gio or Shell. Oh, wow. Strong. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, that's good stuff. What's the update on uh, Aaron Judge? No update. No no update at all. He's working out. He's doing bicep curls or something. I don't know. Oh, wow. <laughs> Get uh, he's getting ready for the summer body. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah, he's. He's in the gym every five days a week. He's, on, he's doing meal prep. And I assume, I assume Giancarlo Stan is not doing bicep curls. What's the update on him? I don't know what the hell's going on. There's certain people there's just no update on. Like, Seve's no update. Um, uh, uh, oh, by the way, we can't include, like, Jacoby Ellsbury on and, and, like, Ben Heller on the injury list and try to goose our numbers and make it seem like it's worse than it is, by the way. No, yeah. <laughs> Who no, cares what? about Jacoby Ellsbury? Who's, who's Jacoby? <laughs> well, I see that on everyone's. Everybody's list. Jacoby Ellsbury on that. Jacoby Ellsbury hasn't played on the team in thirty years. Who's Jacoby Ellsbury? <laughs> Who's Jacoby um, Ellsbury? 
Who is that? I my point is, but I just wanted to hate on Jacoby Ellsbury. Well, it is also a part of the narrative, right? When you guys are on Twitter, and I say you guys, I mean you Yankee fans who are trying to make this as positive as you can, which I totally understand. What you can do is add these names to make that list look even worse, to make your accomplishments this season look even better. It's, it's pretty natural. I mean, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. But um, any any last words on the Yankees? I want to hop over to the Mets, and I want uh, I have some uh, – league-wide stuff to talk about quickly um, at the end as well. So any, any last words in the Yanks? No, just a shame that we got rained out today. Sad. Very sad. Very, very sad. But that's okay. The Mets got rained out on Sunday, and now that game will be played in August or something like that, which is just, you know, it's always weird when that happens. Kind of stinks for the Mets because um, they were hitting the ball a little bit better. They scored four runs for Jacob deGrom the other day. Well, very nice. Four runs. Uh, and 11 the, the game before that. So, Mets bats. How do they keep giving the ball to Jarvis What's up with that, <laughs> dude? He is an absolute trip. How does it? How does it happen? As as a segue to the Mets here, how does it happen with relievers? And I guess the the reason would be just wear and tear and so much stress in one season uh, where they where they're really relied upon. But these relievers sometimes they're so good for like two seasons or so electric for two seasons, and then all of a sudden they're just like trash or can't throw a strike like it's very strange and familia two years ago was one of the saves leaders in the league and he, he was yeah. lights out which is crazy that somebody like kimbrell is still on the market because he's someone who's been doing it for like 10 years <laughs> you know um they, 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 nobody's on him yet and that's what makes people like mariano obviously like trevor hoff and people who did it for like 20 years look so much more uh, even more of an accomplishment. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, real quick, Dallas Keuchel, interested or no? For the Yanks? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if he wanted to get what he was worth. All right. <laughs> he's trying to. He's trying to be. He's trying to get paid twenty five million dollars, like not even prorated. He wants to be the hot. If the Yankees signed him, he'd be the highest paid pitcher on our, our staff, and he'd be the third best. Maybe what's And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you're pretty pleased with the hat Paxton Tanaka Herman combo you got working right now. Yeah, the one, the one, the person who worries me the most is Sebastian. I don't, right. I don't think he's got it. Well, with CC, you kind of just take what you can get and hope he gives you five innings. Like you know, that's really what you can expect with him. Yeah. But, um, yeah, back to the Mets. Yeah, on to the New York Mets. The New York Mets are 19-20. and 20. Um, Obviously, that has a pace of just under 500, but with a couple wins, you can get right above since they're, they're, they're in striking range. The NL East is um, one of those, like, you know, it's not a great division, but it's one of the, the deeper divisions. So, like, the Marlins obviously are not good, uh, obviously. But the Phillies, the Braves, the Nationals, and the Mets, even though the Nationals have been struggling, they're all respectable teams. They're all teams that if we told you in the beginning of the season won 89 games, you'd be like, okay, no, I could see it. it. Any of those teams can win the division. Right now the Phillies look like the strongest. Braves obviously have a, a very strong lineup. Um, but the Mets are in the thick of things. What has been for you the biggest disappointment when it comes to the Mets? Because I think I know, and I think everybody knows, what the biggest positive has been. But what's one of the biggest de- uh, disappointments right now? Uh has not been great. Who? Syndergaard. He has not. And honestly, a team, a team, <laughs> that's, that's a, tough one. <laughs> a team built on starting pitching, if you will, that has not been the strength so far this season. So when we oh, talk about the I Mets mean, and Yankees, one start, I thought a one start with Degrom. I think when he was coming back from his injury. Yeah, he had he had he had two pretty bad starts. He had two he had Did two it? bad starts back to back. Um, 
And then he's been he's been pretty solid. Like his ERA is still in the in the low threes. It's obviously not what he did last year, but I think anybody who expected what he did last year has pretty lofty expectations, obviously. And and the way he started made us think, you know, after his first two starts, you think, okay, maybe DeGrom's just gonna do this forever. Maybe he's just that freaking good. But then he had his speed bump. Uh we thought he was injured. He wasn't injured, which is a great, great sign. But he's right back to being that guy again. Um but 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 a team built on starting pitching. I mean, it's kind of underwhelming, the starting pitching. We're throwing out Jason Vargas a decent amount of times. Steven Matz is one of the most inconsistent guys I've ever watched. so inconsistent. Like, that he, dude he, comes he, out. You never know what you're going to get out of that guy. He comes out, and you think, wow, this guy, man, he could be a number two. And then sometimes you're like, how is he in the rotation? And that's the, the variation <laughs> we're working with with Steven Matz here. It's ridiculous. No, it makes, it makes absolutely no sense with, with him. Um, Wheeler's been good though. Wheeler has been good. He, um, it could be argued that he may was, be. He was, he was actually my biggest question mark coming into the season with Wheeler because, um, you know, outside of that second half of the season, he really never did anything his entire career. So you kind of got to think, you got to assume that that's the, uh, the outlier. But he's been, he's been really good. Yeah, and uh, it, it could probably be argued. I mean, Degrom has still been better, probably, but it can be argued sure. that he's been the best pitcher overall for the season. Sure. I mean, you probably still. Oh, you, that? Now, I was going to say, you'd still give the nod to DeGrom, but it'd be argued that Wheeler's been the most consistent, for sure. The, the offense is just super inconsistent with the Mets. Like, the, the offensive power and, and potential is there. They've clearly scored plenty of runs. But I feel like they don't score when they need to, and, they just kinda, and then the bullpen comes and ruins everything for them. <laughs> yeah, so, and it's, it is weird, because if you think about the Mets lineup right now, obviously we're missing uh, Cespedes, who would be looked at as the best or second best hitter on the team. Obviously, Pete Alonso has taken... You think so? I think I think if if you if you have a healthy Cespedes and you give him the benefit of the Pete doubt, Alonso, like, Pete top ten in baseball right now. Right. No, I'm saying I said I said Sands Pete Alonso. I said if not counting him, he would be looked at as one of the best hitters on the team. Um, but if you look at some of the other guys, like Jeff McNeil has been absolutely fantastic. Like he he's probably an all star right now. He's batting three. Credit for, to me for drafting both Pete Alonso and Jeff McNeil in my fantasy draft. All my fantasy leagues. Sick 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 brag. That's okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's batting friggin' 360. Now, his power numbers aren't great, but the guy hits gap to gap. He has doubles all the time. He's getting on base 44% of the time. I mean, he's been awesome. Ahmed Rosario has proven that he can hit the ball in the major leagues. Pete Alonso, like you said, one of the top 10 hitters in the league possibly this year. Conforto, if you look at his numbers, not too shabby. If you look at Robinson Cano, he hasn't been great. He's not getting on base at the rate he has, but his hitting is fine. And he's still a guy, when you face him in the lineup, you look at him and say, all right, I got, I got to take this guy serious. Really, if you ask me, the biggest disappointment for the Mets of the season was our lone all-star last year. It was Brandon Nimmo. How's Wilson Ramos doing? He's, he, he's a little underwhelming. He doesn't get on base a lot, and he's hitting two thirty. Like So he he's like a average catcher. Yeah. <sighs> Um, but you know what? Wait, well, I'll say this about Wilson Ramos real quick. Sure. With how underwhelming he's been or how average he's been, because I know I've, I've said this to you before, you didn't typically agree, but catchers in, in, in National League, especially like in, in the baseball in general, there's not a ton of rock star hitting catchers. There's just not. Uh, there's some guys who swing for good power. Like There's obviously Gary Sanchez and, there, and there's Real Mudo and there's some other people, but catching is not the place where you go for for middle of the lineup hitting. So the fact that we have a guy who we can actually just count on to be in the lineup most of the time is a big upgrade for the Mets. I mean, we've been running out oh, Darno yeah, and Pulawecki. 
and like nobody's at catcher for the past three seasons. The fact that we have a guy who we can bat sixth or fifth or wherever he bats every game and and trust that he's going to put together some decent at bats, like that's an upgrade for us. So even though he's been underwhelming, he, he's at least decent. Like he's okay. He's okay. No, I, get that. I, I think the problem is for me is that, and, and this is like, you know, I'm a big uh, Brody guy, but they made it seem like Wilson Ramos is just a hair behind uh, J.P. Realmuto, and they kind of build him as that, and he's not that. Wilson Ramos is a very average catcher. I mean, he, he had a good year or two, but he, he's not that type of catcher. Um, and he's also not the power fine. guy. He's, he's, he's the type of catcher who, exactly. when he has a good season, he's hitting 280. But, like, it's not a super productive 280, and that's why batting average can be so convoluted right. today in baseball. 100%. Yeah, no, I, I, like, that's, that's all I'm saying is that, like, they, they made him out to be, like, something he wasn't. Uh, and, you know, you're seeing what he really is. But, again, it's a huge upgrade from Kevin Pulecki and Travis Darno. Travis Darno is on three teams already this year. <laughs> Travis Darno, man. Wow. <laughs> Wow, don't miss him. Can't say I miss him. He had a bunch of offers on the race for, I guess, the Yankees. And then it comes back to, when you, let's like just compare him to the Yankees for a hot second here. If you just look down the Yankees' statistics, you know, your guys who aren't hitting home runs are having five or six, or, or, or you know, they have two guys in double digits, but they have multiple guys with five, six, six, five, four home runs. You do the same thing for the Mets, and you see two, two, three. And then, you know, Pete Alonso has 12 and Conforto has 8. But it's the power numbers, the, those those runs that just kind of like, I don't know if this is going to be the right analogy, but those runs that just kind of like eat up innings, the, the runs that you just kind of stack up over the year, they don't exist as easily for the Mets. Like the Mets rely on manufacturing and, and hitting back-to-back doubles or or really, really working their ass off to get runs across the it's board. All balancing at the, it's all about balancing. You need to have power, you need to be able to go run Mets. The good teams have the ability to do both, right? And that's right. Be like the Yankees have been missing for the Yankees and Mets have been kind of polar opposites for the past couple of years. Yankees have been all power, Mets have been all building runs, and, and you need both to be really a, like a, a real contender. Exactly, to be elite, you need to to balance both. And the Mets are missing yeah. that power, that power strike where you just need that guy who's just, you need that Luke Voigt. You need the guy who you know, and Luke Voigt's probably hitting a better average than you may even expect right now, but. Boy, do you expect him to drive some runs across the board? And the Mets just don't quite have that right now. Um, but let's talk about Jeff McNeil for a second because he sure. he he's kind of like he kind of reminds me of Lemayhew in the sense where he's just super super solid and he's going to do little things and he's going to put the ball in play and he's not going to knock the ball out of the park. But he's so important. Um, is he a lost art in the league this like nowadays? Like a Jeff McNeil, Lemayhew, like they still clearly have their place, but they don't seem appreciated. No, but but that's fine. You you want that guy to be underrated because that's the guy that's going to make the big hits and you know want to count. Um, and and with the, he he is he might be like a lost star, but at the same time he's also that new school super utility player, which is where I think he's got the biggest value. Right. You, you don't have enough. You can never have enough players like that. He's been playing was it third base, outfield, first base. That's that's good. That's in the especially in the National League to be able to move some around comfortably and, uh, around the uh, around the diamond. That's important. And, and he's, he's exactly what you need. And, you know, you still also have, like, Jed Laurie going to come back. Really solid player. Yeah, no, he, um, he he's, he's gonna, definitely forgotten about early on in the Mets season just because we never saw him in the Mets line, uh, uniform yet. You know what I mean? So with for yeah. you guys, with guys like Didi and Judge and Giancarlo, you've seen them before in the lineup. You've seen what they can do. Now, for Mets fans with Jed Lowry, like, 
you know, you know who he is. You know he put together a great season or two, but you haven't seen him do it for you yet. And until he puts the uniform on and gets dirty and makes some plays, it's almost like he doesn't exist. He's basically Jacoby Ellsbury until he gets on the field. He had one of the best batting averages in the league last year. Again, batting average is not as important, but you know, still, when you're batting the 360 or something like that, that is important. Absolutely. And, uh, and he's going to be in the National League East, which is probably a little bit easier than playing against the Astros all the time. Very true. Very true. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the man, the myth, the legend now for a second. Sure. Sneaky Pete. Pete Alonzo. <laughs> My guy. I mean... Is there is there a guy when you see him drive the ball to right center into center field? Is there someone who comes to mind that he reminds you of? Because right now, there's tons of guys who put the ball out of the park, right? But the way he's been hitting some of these home runs this year has been so impressive, and his power to center and right center is so impressive. There's not a guy who it reminds me of in today's le- in today's league. Like there's not a no, guy who he, re- he reminds me of Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo power. Oh man, and, Joey, and Joey Gallo. Gallo and, and that's not a bad comparison because Joey Gallo figured out how to hit this year outside of just home runs. Yeah, He's doubles. Like he doesn't hit. Injured. He still doesn't hit singles. No. But <laughs> Joey Gallo's been dope this year. No, uh, I know. Yeah, I love Joey Gallo, but uh, that dude doesn't hit singles. <laughs> it's very weird. No, he doesn't. He, He's awesome, though. He's so, he's, he's, they're very similar to other players, just that power. Like, any great power, if they make contact, that's, it's not staying in the infield. I mean, is he is he an all-star? He's an all-star right now, right? He's a top. Pete Bearpig? Yeah. Yeah, Pete Bearpig is an all-star. Pete, Pete Bearpig? Uh, Pete Kong? I don't like yeah, his nicknames. But, we got to work on his nicknames, by the way. Pete Kong and then Pete, Polar, Polar Pete, Pistol Pete. To... What are we doing here? No, I don't I'm, I'm not working on any nicknames. That's not my job. I'm, uh, I'm, the, I'm the guy who, who, who yells at the TV. I'm not the guy who comes up with creative nicknames. I'm willing to offer I'm a, I'm a up. Sports fan. I'm willing to offer up Petey Peppers. <laughs> I'm willing. <laughs> I'm willing to give up my nickname, my only ever nickname. I was never a nickname guy. I was always just Pete or Petey or whatever. I never even get called by my last name in in my sporting days. But I'm willing to give up my one and only nickname, Petey Peppers. I think it's the best. It is a really good nickname. But the only problem is that you stop a point with that. that. That's the only thing that loses a little bit of draw from that is that you came up with your own nickname. Nobody likes that guy. I did not come up with that. Oh, no, you have a nickname, Father Pete. Uh, Father, oh, I guess Father Pete exists as well. That's, that's good stuff. But no, watching him has been an absolute that's, revelation. That's a little inside baseball for uh, Pete's Pete social life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For my couple friends who listen to this podcast every once in a while, they may they may be following the last thirty seconds of this conversation. Oh, he said it! He said it! <laughs> <laughs> but watching this guy Pete Alonso has been such a revelation for us Mets fans. I mean, having a guy—I mean, Conforto had a fantastic season two years ago. Had a sneaky solid year last year with the power numbers. Nimmo was a guy we kind of got behind last year, but obviously he's really. I hate Nimmo. I hate Nimmo so much. I know you hate I, I that hate he sprints it. the first base on a walk. We get it. We get it. Never... <laughs> he is the anti-Tim <laughs> Anderson. No, he's, he's like Brett Carter, but I would hate Brett Carter if he wasn't. Up. I kind of hate Brett Carter if he is on <laughs> <laughs> He really is the anti-Tim Anderson. You know, you'd almost think with some of all, the, all these old head baseball analysts who, like, get mad at bat flips or whatever. Oh, this is a beautiful segue, Pete, to the next point of conversation. <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> you think... <laughs> Thank you. You think all these people who would hate all these bat flips would like really get behind Brandon Nimmo, but maybe even they, even the old head baseball analyst out there, sees Brandon Nimmo sprint to first on a walk, and you're like, ugh, 
I hate that guy. <laughs> it's the worst. It's, it's, it's brutal. It's funny because he's on the same and he's on the same team as Robinson Cano, who could who doesn't even know what it, what sprint means, and that's not a uh, English is a second language joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true. All right. Well, the Mets. Um, if you can pick out one thing that can be a, a positive, something that Mets fans can look forward to, or or give themselves reason to hope that they get above five hundred and stay above five hundred, what would that reason be? Uh, that the National League stinks outside of like two teams, and they totally have everything in their own power to to, to control this uh, situation. Um, playing a ton of teams in their division that they can beat. Uh, and a lot more home games to come. Yeah, they need to beat up on the Marlins. They can't allow the Marlins. But they've been beating up on the Marlins. Right. Like, this is a huge thing. And I think people really hate on it when they say, you know, oh, they're just beating crappy teams. Good teams beat crappy teams. And that's so huge. Like, it doesn't happen all the time. People, good teams a lot of times play down to crappy teams. Like the Yankees do with the Orioles all the time. And, and when they actually beat the teams, it's important. You need that. That's how you rack up the wins, man. That's how you get to ninety eight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, so, like, don't hate. Don't hate on those wins. Those are, those are good wins. You should like be proud of those. Right. So I think I think we got to hope for the Mets because they did have a, a tougher schedule to start off the year. We got to hope that they take care of business when it matters and when it's these bad teams and they can rack up two out of three, two out of three, a little sweep action. All of a sudden, three games above five hundred, four games above five hundred, and, and they're right in the thick of things with the Braves and the Phillies. Um, because they have what it takes, and I think the thing with Mets fans this year, we didn't expect to win 95 games. No one expected to win 95. No one expected to run away with this division. All the Mets fans expected and are asking for is to be in that 85 to 90 range to have a chance when we get to August. To play competitive baseball. Right. To, to play meaningful baseball when it comes to August, when it comes to September when it's time to, to put your money where your mouth is and, and start winning meaningful games. But like you said, if you don't win the ones that you're supposed to win, you're not even going to get a chance. So with that being said, for the Mets, the biggest thing is taking care of business against the crappy teams. So when you split with the good ones or, or you have a tough series and lose two out of three against the good teams, you can live to see another day. And uh, hopefully they're, they're turning that leaf with this easier series against the Marlins they just had. Underpaying. Go Knicks. That's why I'm Go Knicks. Um, we, we don't have a ton of time because I don't want to talk too long about it. We're, we're, we're going to actually talk about um, the basketball stuff as well. Um, but real quick, Tim Anderson. I think he's fascinating. I think he's electric, and he had some, some issues over the past week or two, right, where he had that big bat flip, he got beamed, and then we all know what happened there. And there's two different type of baseball fans nowadays. There's ones who say, yeah, if you bat flip, you better expect a fastball in the back. And then there's other people who say, if you bat flip, pitcher should have got him out. And, and there's really there's really an argument in the baseball world right now between those two sides. And do you think it's leaning one way, or do you think it's going to prevail one side or the other? Because I think Tim Anderson's great for baseball. I think him being this flary, exciting shortstop with some pop who's going to be unapologetic about being excited, I think that's great. Um, do you think one side is going to prevail, prevail in this argument? Yeah, it's. I mean, the MLB is literally backing the let kids let let the kids play movement. I mean, the, every old head, like even like when Bassett first started being a thing, I hated them. I remember Joe, uh, Joey Bass, I was at BCC, used to do it all the time. They used to drive me nuts. 
and now it's cool. Now it's just you know it's just getting used to it, and, and then it becomes fun and less stuffy. And that's exactly what baseball needs. People always talk about marketing baseball to people. This is how you do it. That side's totally going to prevail, and all the old heads are are quickly dying off, literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you feel about that same guy I just mentioned, Tim Anderson? I like that he's becoming like a um, a poster boy for this. He also went on a radio show, Dan Lebertard show. And basically said, not direct quoting here, but he basically said, I don't really follow baseball at all outside of my games because I think it's boring and uh, not that exciting. I think he's just trying to uh, stick it to Major League Baseball, who didn't have his back about the whole situation. Right. Um, and suspended him when the, the, the little brawl uh, happened. Because, it, you know, baseball has that let that kid, let the kid play movement, and then they didn't have his back as soon as he did that. So. Um, I, I think he's just trying to stick it to Major League Baseball. I don't think he's stupid. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. And he's very active on social media. And people like that who have a strong social media presence and know how to do PR, they're smarter than they let on. Fantastic. I agree more. I agree with you. I, I hope it continues to move in that direction. I think it's only good for the game. And um, if you just think about some of the exciting guys out here, like Bryce Harper and um, some of the, some of some pitchers who really get jacked up out there on the mound. Like, who's this guy? Um who uh, struck out Pete Alonso the other? Oh, Paddock from San Diego. I mean, yeah. obviously, I'm pulling for Pete Alonso in that situation. The two rookies, Paddock spoke before the game. He's like, I want to. He won Rookie of the Month. I want Rookie of the Year, and then showed him up in the game. And granted, I was pulling for my guy Pete Alonso, but the fact that that fire was there for for the pitcher on the other side, I'm for that. You know what? It's if you're, if you're, you know, he's like, he's like, then you strike him out, or that's what you do. Right. If you want to get back with him, you strike him out on the next one. If you want to get back, you hit a home run on the next one. That's what you do. That's the right. That's the way to do it. If a batter is not allowed to charge the mound because you pumped a fist after you struck him out, then I don't like the idea that a pitcher can throw ninety-eight at someone's back because someone got him on a on a hanging curveball. No, I'm with you. I couldn't. And, and listen, there's still a fine line because. You know, some some teams, are, you know, misconstrue. Sometimes guys just don't have have their stuff that day, and they end up beating people in a row. And you can kind of tell. And certain people, like CC Zabathi, is a problem with this. It's always immediately let's get into a fight about this. Right. <laughs> so he's, <laughs> which is, is great as a fan, but at the same, at the same time, it's like you, know, you do have to police them a little bit. Right. Uh, with that respect, but, it, but it's I I I I think that I think Chris Paddock said it right. He's like. You strike him out the next time. <laughs> That's exactly. What you do. Simple stuff. All right. Alec Argento. Alec Argento, baseball update, New York baseball update. It was a long time coming. I'm happy we had the chance to chat about it. And um, some inside podcast here. I think this is going to play after our basketball talk, but we're also doing basketball talk as well because the playoffs are happening. The NBA draft lottery is finally here. Knicks fans are having all amounts of agita. A whole lot of panic, a lot of stress, a lot of crying uh, for Knicks fans. And Tuesday night, we get to find out if the Knicks get screwed or not. So we'll talk about that perhaps before this baseball segment. But nonetheless, Alec, thanks for talking baseball to me, man. Hundo P, dude. And thank you to Alec Argento. And you obviously figured out by now that we did the basketball segment to this podcast before the baseball one. Well, in your order on the listening end, recorded it in the other direction. But we wanted to give you that that hot NBA talk because it's top of mind on all sports fans right now. Playoffs have been really fun, really, really fun. And we got some more rounds coming. Warriors-Blazers starts Tuesday night. That's tonight. We also have uh, the Bucks 
and the Raptors and Kawhi versus Giannis, and that's going to be absolutely fantastic. But thank you to John Lucas Duffy who talked NBA with me. Thank you to Alec Argento who clearly just talked a lot of baseball with me. Mets, Yankees, we were well overdue for a New York baseball update. So thank you, though. Of all people to thank, thank you for listening. If you're here an hour and 40 minutes into this podcast, that means the absolute world to me and to all of us here, Duffy and Alec. It's it's just really cool that people take some time to listen to what we have to say about sports. Um, it's it's the best for me to get on this microphone, get the reps in, talk some sports, talk some NBA, some baseball. It's an absolute blast and it's a pleasure. So when you guys do go to iTunes Out Podcast app and drop five stars, drop a review, even if you give me constructive criticism, tell me what's crap about this podcast, how Frank's mic suck or something like that, or how Alex Mike wasn't that great today uh, as he was calling it on the phone. It, it all means the world to me, the fact that you care enough to reach out and show some love. So thank you all to listening to the SBNY Podcast.